At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. Well, good morning, disciples. Great to have you here again. Uh, This is where I always awkwardly say, if you don't know me, hi, my name's Justin, but if you do know me, my name is still Justin. I don't have a conditional identity, so I really just mean to say hello. Great to have you in church today. This shouldn't be that painful, but it always is. Anyways, uh, we were excited, looking forward to next week, uh, Easter, baptisms, uh, the family style noise and all that's going on. Um, But what we're going to do this week is we're going to put in the final installment of a series that we're calling, as the Buffer video said, Let's Be That. We're looking at different things we want to be. And what we're essentially doing is we're sharing some new core values and a new mission statement. Same old gospel, same old Jesus, same old Bible. Um, But how are we uh, going to flesh this out in our community right now? Well, here's, here's the new mission statement. It reads like this. At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. This whole series, maybe even the, the point of, of, of the church where we want to go is we want to be audacious. We want to be like Jesus, right? We don't want to just have information, but we want to have transformation. We don't just want to have affiliation or be associated with Jesus. Uh, we want to pursue him to the point where it honest, honestly can be said that, that we are like Jesus. To, to be <laughs> or not to be. Like Jesus, that's, that's the question. Now, there are endless amounts of things and people to imitate, uh, pursue, people to follow. And instead of giving mastery to all the other options, our ardent aim is Jesus. So think for a moment about Jesus. Even if you're not a Bible scholar, a lot of us have a placeholder um, that at least on paper should be impressive, right? So you have Jesus. Perfect. Loving this, this great teacher, he's pure. He taught and embodied scripture. He, he formed community, was in community, could schmooze with anyone. He was humble. He was sacrificial to the point of, of death. He, he taught and proclaimed the gospel. He was compassionate. Uh, he was very courageous when he was abandoned. He brought his followers near, then he sent them out so that uh, God's message of salvation could go to the diverse peoples of the earth. And then we want to be that. (laughs) A lot of us are like, hey, I got out of the house today and I was only 12 minutes late. Like, that's a win. Like, how does somebody like me who's like, oh, I found my pants. Oh, yeah, I can follow Jesus. Like, how do we do that? And so we want to become... 
We want to be formed. We want to be conformed, not to just know about, not just to talk about, but to be about the way of Jesus. And so what I'm getting at here uh, boils down perhaps to one word, discipleship. So if, if this was an episode of Sesame Street, uh, that would be the word of the day. That'd be the word on the street, right? So uh, we'd have a, a different colored Muppet every five minutes interrupt, like teaching us to count or tying our shoes. To talk about discipleship, uh, we don't have Muppets, uh, but we do have the word of the day. When you hear the word discipleship, what comes to mind? And when you're thinking, is what comes to mind helpful for you? When I think about disciples or discipleship, I kind of have this picture of like those like Jesus movies they made back in the 70s, and you got guys with togas and like really bad 70s haircuts, and they're wearing sandals like walking around in Arizona calling it Israel, right? That does not help me. I am not, I'm not down with that. I have no interest in that. Full disclaimer. But before we define what discipleship is, let's first establish its importance, so says Jesus. So Matthew 28, very uh, iconic, famous verse uh, where Jesus gives the great commission. He, he is, is resurrected. He gives this mission, these marching orders to his disciples in view of his power and authority. There's one thing that you're supposed to do, guys. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything. That's part of what it means to be a disciple. You don't just check a box, raise your hand on a Sunday under some emotional moment. You observe all the, the commands. And remember, I'm with you even to the end of the age. So God's heart for everyone is to become something to be something, and that something is a disciple. Jesus could have said, hey, go make people moral. Go make them active citizens. Go make them theologically savvy. Go make people who are generous, socially warm, financially responsible. But he didn't settle on any of one of those good items that I just listed. He said, make disciples. Be about discipleship. And so while discipleship might include some of those good things I just listed, Discipleship is greater than the sum of all those individual parts. It's so comprehensive, and it can't be reduced. So discipleship is important. What then is a disciple? Well, the Greek term in the New Testament, uh, and I might slaughter this one, pause for dramatic effect, is mathetes. Mathetes. And so an English equivalent that probably doesn't do justice is apprentice. So think of the word an apprentice, uh, but know that the Bible adds additional layers because it's much deeper, it's a, it's a thicker meaning than someone who just job shadows. It's bigger than just picking up some, some work experience or, or, or a line on the resume or mastering a vocational skill. So it's kind of like this. I know very little about electricity other than it's helpful and how to hurt myself with it, okay? Um, it helps me. You can hear me right now. One time I tried to install um, a, a brand new uh, appliance, and I got shocked with 220, and it, that was not fun. But let's just say I apprentice an electrician for a year. I could, hypothetically, um, pick up know-how. I could learn new skills, but it's very possible and almost likely that I would not be formed into the likeness of that person, Right? I could do the job maybe like the person does, 
but I could still hold a different morality, a different worldview. I could have unaffected relationships, a different character altogether. Um, and, and we all know this. Some of us, we have bosses or work relationships, and you are nothing like the people you work with right? You're completely different. You are unaffected. You both know how to do the thing, but as soon as you punch out, you're like, I don't want to be like that person. I don't want to be around that person. We are oil and water. In the ancient world, that kind of discipling apprenticing was much different. It was encompassing. It was intensive. You see, uh, disciples would go into an extensive transformational experience that was life on life. So when a disciple would go to a rabbi, They would be in a consistent presence, a thorough presence of this master, of this teacher. It would reorient uh, their entire life. You actually can't have discipleship without a clear master, without a clear teacher. It doesn't really make sense. It's not just learning a field. It's following in the way of someone else. So this was common in the, the times of Jesus and the Jews of his day, and it was customary for disciples to leave home, to move in with, to travel with their rabbi. They would have food and lodging often provided for them. They would become like a servant, completely under the the teaching, the yoke, the authority, and trying to imitate that rabbi. And so the goal wasn't only to learn what the rabbi knew, but to become like that person in character and in disposition. So that, and there was a point, there was a mission to all this, so that they would be able to pass the torch on to other people, that they would spread the teaching and transmit that way of life, that they would be about it. Not just talk about it, just not know about it, but be about it. So when we talk discipleship, we talk about devotion, uh, sacrifice, a reorientation of our lives, not just skills, not just trivia, uh, not just selectively picking up a few traits. That's discipleship. And we see this in Mark's gospel, famous story. Jesus is passing along uh, the beach shore, the lake of Galilee in Israel. He sees Simon, his brother Andrew, they're, they're net fishing, following in their regular work. Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Follow me, be a disciple of me, and with me you will then make other disciples, a disciple who makes disciples. Come with me and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. Instead of perch and bass, you're going to fish for men and women. And, and what it says, if you keep reading, is they didn't ask questions. They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. They dropped the old paradigm and became disciples. And so this is a literal picture. They set down their nets. But that is a picture of what spiritually was happening too. New paradigm. So discipleship, this is how we define it at Riverview. Uh, this is our core value. We define it this way. Discipleship is the lifelong journey of being changed by following and becoming more like Jesus. This messy, grace-driven process, because it's a process. Your conversion is an event. You flip a light switch. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was lost. Now I'm found. This sanctification is a process. It happens best through the mutual sharing of our lives with the greatest command, great commandment at its heart and the Great Commission as its trajectory. We're talking about this immersive, lifelong journey of following Jesus, learning to uh, imitate and to be more like him, more conformed in our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, such that we actually live different kind of lives. Like, my bank account should reflect Jesus. My search history should reflect Jesus. What we do with our bodies, what we do when no one else is looking, that should all reflect Jesus. The emphasis 
on the greatest command. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With all of you vertically love God, horizontally love other people. That's kind of the what and the how that gets flushed out is the Great Commission, right? To make disciples. That was Matthew 28. To be a disciple who makes disciples. So we call this core value uh, relational and missional Discipleship. We'll unpack that a little bit more. The, the relationship piece, the mission piece, has to do with the how. That's the ministry philosophy, how we go about doing the what, the discipleship piece. And this is where I really want to lean in because it's impossible for me to go make disciples or us to go make disciples if we're not disciples in the first place, right? Uh, so we want to help others do the same. So let's lean in here. And as we do that, I think I need to put it in park for just a second. It just a drive home the importance because I think there is a crisis of discipleship when you think about it. What it means to be a disciple. I mean, a lot of people identify with Jesus. You look at census data, a lot of people identify, but then you see other data. When you ask people, hey, what does that mean? Do you believe these doctrines? How do you live? It doesn't really add up. You're having a hard time squaring a circle, right? A lot of people have no problem with spirituality, picking and choosing some virtues, celebrate holidays, right? but yet still have unchanged lives. It's easy to mentally just agree with a doctrine or two or to come in and consume church, but it actually sometimes it seems more like we're saying, well, Jesus, really, he's not all of me. He's a part of me, right? A footnote, it's an addendum. It's something I do spiritually. I'm, I'm a dabbler. <laughs> I dabble in spirituality. I dabble in Jesus. I don't really follow Jesus. I'm more like a spiritual hobbyist, so I think it's kind of like this. There's a difference uh, between being like a casual sports fan, especially when your team has a bad year, and then being an athlete playing in the arena, right? It's like, if I have time, maybe I'll tune in. If I get a free ticket, you know, if, it's, if the seats are good, I'll, I'll, I'll tune in. I'll come, I'll attend, but I'll sit back at a safe distance. I'll cheer, but I won't break a sweat. I don't want to get nicked up in the arena. I don't really want to play. But instead of passive fans, Jesus wants apprentices who are doing what he did. He wants us in the arena. Jesus was all in. How could I be casual? But if you're like me, part of the reason why is I like Jesus as a savior, right? Like eternally, not a fan of hell. Just going to go out on a limb. Hot take, pun intended, okay? Hot take. I'm not a fan of hell, okay? Uh, eternal get out of jail free card. Yes, Jesus the Savior. But Jesus the Lord? Like the Lord, like all caps. Put on cap, caps lock. Type the word Lord, the boss. Putting a claim on my life. I gulp a little bit with that one. Later in Mark's gospel, we see how high the stakes are calling the crowds along with his disciples. So Jesus, is, his ministry is taking off. And Jesus, by the way, had a way of shrinking his following. Oh, there's a lot of you here. I'm going to say hard things and most of you will leave. That was his leadership model. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, and at this point, the trajectory seems big. Jesus is getting more famous. People are liking him. Let him deny himself Take up his cross, that's the instrument of Roman execution, and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Disciples are supposed to be so committed 
to adhere completely, to give him uh, the number one, the top priority, and accept a call that will involve sacrifice and following him wherever he leads. And I read this very interesting observation in commentary this past week, that Jesus never called his followers Christians. He never did. He called them disciples. Christians weren't called Christians until Antioch in chapter 11 of Acts later. Not that that's wrong, but what I'm getting at here is there's only supposed to be one category. A Christian is a follower, is a believer, is a disciple. It's all one and the same. It's not like I got this category of believers. That's the the intro package. And then if you want the premium package, we've got believers who also follow for just $19.99 a month. We can just charge a little more. No. All Christians are disciples. There's no other way to put it. Tozer says it this way. True discipleship is obeying Jesus Christ and learning of him and following him and doing what he tells you to do, keeping his commandments and carrying out his will. That kind of a person is a Christian and no other kind is. That's a disciple. Think about it. That's a lot to ask of a person but not in view of God if we're beginning to glimpse God for who God is. Scripture tells us God made us. Okay? We we are his creation. He made us. Then we sinned, which was rebellion against him. And for those that would have faith, a way forward is made. Jesus purchased us with his blood. He gave us his all, so all to him we owe. To make us his possession, I owe him everything. So just think for just a moment. Look at his handiwork, just to consider who we're dealing with. Um, Think about, uh, like, the the universe and the celestial bodies, okay? So our sun, just that little little glowing ball of gas in in our galaxy, is, give or take, about 94 million miles away. I'll go Dr. Evil, million miles away. That's, That's a bit. Take a little while to get there, even if you're moving fast. Now, that's just that placeholder. There are places out in the universe that if I could make you live for a thousand years, put you in a rocket, going the speed of light, after a thousand years, you wouldn't even get near that place. That's the vastness. That's the mind-exploding vastness of the universe. But how much more mind-blowing is the person who made that? He just says, "Uh, let's, yeah, black hole over there. Speaks it into existence. That's how mighty, that's how powerful. How do we relate to him? Is that my advisor? I will take your suggestions up. I'll review them and get back with you. You can be my co-pilot. Or is that the Lord that I obey with every ounce of my being? This is a big deal. And life is not neutral. The reality is we're always being formed or being deformed. All the time. We're, even if we're converted, right? We're drawing near to God or we're drifting. And James, it says if we doubt, we're like that wave of the sea that gets blown and swept out further and further and further. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans 12. There's this, this, this tug of war. Pay attention to how we can be formed and deformed. He says this, Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this age so you can get pulled this corrupting way, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We're either being conformed to the corruption, getting spiritually jammed up, 
or we're being transformed, molded more and more into the character of Jesus. And so discipleship means following Jesus in everything. It's not checking a box on a census. It's not a bumper sticker on our car. And another thing is it's not is an individual exercise. We're not called to be soloists. Discipleship necessarily involves other people and making disciples of others. So it's important. I've stressed it in the view of God. So, so let's look a little bit more about the how. How discipleship, how this apprenticing gets worked out. There's this line later in the New Testament where Paul's writing a Greek church. And this is what he says on behalf of his, his uh, people that were traveling and doing ministry together with him. He says to Thessalonians, we cared so much for you that we were pleased. We were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only this message of salvation, but also our own lives. We shared our lives because you're dear to us. They didn't just share good information, but they shared their very own lives. And so this is what we're getting at when we talk about relational and missional discipleship. Because the most effective way to be a disciple and to make disciples is through our relationships. Not billboards, not tweets, not casual acquaintances, or just saying prayers that we have no intention of acting upon. True and authentic discipleship is life-on-life friendships. We, need, we live in a time where we need trust. We need uh, sincerity, and, and those relationships are the fertile ground for the soil uh, for that to grow. And think about this. A lot of people think they know about Christianity or they have proximity. They're like, yeah, I get it. Not for me. I get it. I've seen it. But, but, but do you? Right? Think, think about our society for a minute. We have churches on street corners. Uh, our society will take up our language. Like sin makes sense to a lot of people. Hell, angels. They're like, yeah, I have a reference point for that. We'll acknowledge Easter. We'll take a picture of a latte, and then we'll put it up on Instagram, hashtag blessed. That's following Jesus, right? That's life change. I mean, uh, we, we traveled for spring break. We found ourselves in a city in the upper south a week or so ago. We're going through, and there was this, this gift shop, actually several gift shops. And I drove by, and, and, I, and I saw like all these big, cheap plastic crosses, in the same store where you could buy jackknives, Confederate flags, and get henna tattoos. Is that Christianity? Like, part of me, like, maybe this is my flesh that knows a little bit about the Bible and wants to rationalize, like, man, Jesus went in and broke stuff one time, right? I'm supposed to imitate Jesus. Like, that's what I'm thinking, but being arrested would, anyways... And any of that, and some of that is trash. That cheap trash. <laughs> is that Jesus? Is that proximity with the living God? So, what we need is a real authentic relationship component. That's where discipleship, conversion, where, 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 where growth, evangelism happens, and it's a slow endeavor uh, because hypocrisy is real. Some people, they talk one way, they, they live another. Vulnerability is hard to open up and to share our lives. We need time. It takes a long time to be credible. And so if, if you're wrapping your head around this and it doesn't make sense, just do this quick thought experiment for me. I'll just, I'll just assume you're a Christian or you're warm to Christianity or there, there's a reason why you're here and you're, you're not running out quite yet, right? Give, give me a few more minutes. Maybe I'll, I'll scare you off. I don't know. But think about an ideology, ideology or a religion, a worldview, something that just 
you don't have a very high view of. So maybe let's just say, for instance, you work with someone in the cubicle next to you, they're, they're a Wiccan. Or you've got a neighbor who's a Jehovah's Witness. And there's something that you think about that you feel some type of way. <laughs> what would it take for you to do life with that person? Like how much goodwill would you have to build up before you're like, okay, yeah, I'll trust you, I'll do my life, I'll share my stuff. A lot of people feel that way about you as a Christian. That what we're doing right now is pants on fire crazy. That's why it's so important uh, to not rely on a bumper sticker or a plastic cross I got with my henna tattoo that says forever on it to get to maintain and actively build authentic relationships. The disciples saw Jesus. They had a front row seat to see how he lived with people. He shared his life and ministry with them. They ate together. They traveled together. They saw he was deliberate with people, not just his own people, but facing outward, even his enemies, the Roman occupiers. How, 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 whether it was a child, whether it was royalty, a, a person who was differently abled, a religious leader, a skeptic, they saw him go to that Samaritan woman and to sit with her, to look her in the eyes talk with her about her life. He saw Zacchaeus, the social pariah up in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, I must eat with you today. That's what they saw, that Jesus was invested in relationships. They, they weren't a necessary evil on the way to transmitting ideas because it's about people. So to truly follow after Jesus, who was all about making disciples, we must be intentional about relationships. And I know that many of you here today are here today because of somebody else who is here today. The people that will be baptized next week. Uh, it was really cool. I've talked with a few people and they're starting to tell their stories. Yes, I had this youth leader. It was my dad. It was my brother. My wife was really pushing me. I, I, I had this roommate in college. It's through people. And, and I love just this, this uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul it just goes after relationships, authentically investing in people, uh, different kinds of people. He says this, <clears throat> To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like those under the law, though myself, I'm not under the law, to win those under the law. So to the Jewish system, the Jewish people, I'm there, I'm with them. They can trust me. If they eat kosher, even though I don't have to follow the dietary restriction, I'll eat kosher. I'll be with them. I'll be on mission there. Uh, to those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law. So the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, that myriad of different cultures and beliefs and worldviews, he would be that. To the weak, I become weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. He would try to leverage his relationships to a deliberate end, not treating relationships as an end in themselves. And this is where the mission or the missional component comes in for our relationships. See, it's not just about having relationships. It's good to have relationships. You can't be a healthy person without relationships, but you need to have a mission in them, a greater purpose for those relationships. You see, Jesus was not just some lonely, insecure, codependent guy, you know, walking along with guys with bad haircuts and sandals in Arizona, right? I mean, Israel, right? Jesus was walking around as a missionary, on mission. He wouldn't deviate from this. He wasn't looking for invites and Twitter followers. He, he was looking for dead and lost souls, to make them alive and found, that these people would be worshipers of God. Can I say that that's what I'm looking for? <laughs> when I think about my relationships, usually I'm like, oh, avoid the headache. Oh, you're cool. I want you to like me. You're resentful. I kind of want to, you know, get even with you, right? 
I'm not thinking, how great would it be if everyone worshiped God? But we see people who get this imitate him, follow him. This, this is what Paul says, continuing the verse I just started to read. Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that, there's a purpose, so that by every possible means I might save some. Now I do this all because of the gospel so that I might share, and it's his blessings. He says, I'm becoming all things to all people, not so I will win friends and influence, right? Uh, but because of the gospel. He had relationships and he had mission at the same time. Connecting relationally, authentically with people to share our lives, to, to foster trust so that we can actually have proximity. And I have, I have several friends I've noticed that, uh, that don't know, don't follow Jesus. They kind of roll their eyes. They think it's kind of crazy. But if I go to concerts with them and I just befriend them on the regular, um, I notice that when there's the miscarriage, they, they, they call the Christian. That when they get sick and they need a meal, they call the Christian. Then I know they're listening, and then I say, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Those are the moments when we know somebody, when we're there for them. When you kind of know the game you're playing, like a, just a really, really quick, like, hey, read my bumper sticker, may not have the kind of traction of like, I don't badmouth you. I follow up to see how your family is doing. Those are the kind of things that make the difference. So, missional and relational discipleship is a great thing to aim for, but if we are honest, and we talk about this, I've been talking with people about this, we usually feel a lot more guilt than we do excitement, right? Talk about the standard, the bar of Jesus. Honestly, this is one of my more discouraging weeks of prep because I was looking at it, and I'm just like, oh, one is not like the other, okay? It's like you ever show up at a basketball court? Like one, one time I was out of shape. I showed up and there's this guy that got back from playing professional basketball in Europe. And I was just kind of like, oh, I think I'm gonna pull a muscle. Goodbye. You know, like, no, I don't wanna guard him, right? We feel inadequate. So I think this is where we, we, we all fall short. We fall, fall short of discipleship for a number of different reasons. But I think if we consider um, who and what we're following, Specifically, I mean, we, we think about our relationships, our inputs. Or, uh, honestly, there, there's been a few folks in the last couple of years that have had tr struggles and troubles uh, with church and with other things. And I think functionally, it's because they've been discipled by pundits. They've been discipled by a podcaster or more likely than anything, they have been discipled by their algorithms on YouTube. Not by Jesus. Someone who claims the name of Jesus then says a bunch of politicized inflammatory stuff to get clicks, to sell ads, and so you just become a pawn and you get deformed. A lot of us right now are feeling like we're lacking, whether we're busy, we're selfish, whatever we miss. We all miss. We all fall short. Apprenticing Jesus is hard, it's messy, and the thing is, through the church history, there's always been something people always miss. So maybe we shouldn't put our hope in ourselves 
and what we've done. We miss with relationships, we miss with mission, we, we, we exchange the mission of Jesus for other missions, and then we sometimes try to slap a Jesus label on something that really isn't him. I, and and I, I tell you, I have not adequately picked up my cross. I have not adequately treated him as a Lord, and I've been his disciple and made disciples. So often instead we settle for making a name for ourselves, living lives that are comfortable, getting our identity and our comfort and family and our career and reputation. And because we have chosen our agendas over God's, we deserve wrath. We deserve punishment because everything is his. But thankfully, and this is where the good news, this is why we don't need to leave hanging our heads today. We're not saved by being a good disciple. We're not. We're not saved because we disciple well. We are saved by the master and the rabbi who does all the heavy lifting required that that makes us have a a desire and an interest and motivation to follow him so well. See, the wrath and the punishment could come for us, but it's not. You want to know why? Because it came to him. It went to him. He didn't miss. He loved people perfectly on mission. He didn't use people. He wasn't lazy. He gave us his grace. He gave us his spirit. He gave us every motivation for allegiance. The the prophet says, by his wounds, we have been healed. He's been so good to us. He's been so patient in our mess. He fills us up, and from that, we overflow into others. That's supposed to be our motivation, not white-knuckling it through guilt. C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand me over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own shall become yours. See, what happens when we come to Christ and we think with the lens of the gospel, we exchange our rags for his riches, our shame for his glory, our our sin and our death for his holiness and his life. So at day's end, our discipleship doesn't hinge on the disciple, not our character, not our ability, but it's based on the goodness, the mercy, the empowering of the master who we follow. It's on him. We go to live with him. He provides. He takes us on the journey and we cooperate. And that equation at the end of the day is in our favor. The more we see it, the more we do it. So we need to think about our motivations. Grace, mercy comes from him. And it's that love that we first receive. We we get filled up with that. That's what we're supposed to pour out. This is not because he's just the authoritative one, but he's the only one who's going to bring life to the full who's trustworthy, who's good enough, who's worth following, that, that's not going to have some scandal next week, that's not going to sell us a bill of goods or try to use our clicks to sell ad shares to, to help his brand. He died for us, for the joy set before him. He went to the cross. He scorned its shame because he loves us. So in view of celebrating this grace, despite our imperfect discipleship, um, Let's get practical. Here's, here's some action steps, okay? To be or not to be a disciple. If you want to be one, you want to turn up that dial, do it better. I've got four action steps coming your way. Number one, imitate the faithful. Imitate those imitating Christ. I stole that line from Paul. 
Paul stole that line from the Holy Spirit. You can steal that line later today. It's all good. Imitate those that you see imitating Christ, those that you see giving Jesus priority in their lives. I think anything in my life that is truly consequential, um, if you would have known me as a teenager, <laughs> right, or if you would have known me at a different time, the fact that I'm doing this right now is kind of weird. It's like God's got a good sense of humor. And the devil, and he's like, hey, bet you 10 bucks this guy's going to be giving a sermon. <laughs> yeah, right, I'll take that. No. I can say that all that I have done, that I've done well, I've stood on the shoulders of other people. In community, being discipled by imitating other people, um, how do I read the Bible? How do I prepare a sermon? How do I counsel people? Seeing other people be generous with their money, helping me? I'm like, ooh, I guess I'm doing it wrong. Not that I've arrived, but I've watched other people show me how to confess their sins and not make excuses. Confess their sins and not be like, yeah, but I was doing mostly good lately and I meant what? Just like, oh, I meant to do it wrong. I'm terrible. I'm a sinner. I need grace. Can you hold me accountable? I'm like, ooh, I should do that too. Imitate the faithful. Put off your self-centeredness. As you see other people, put other people uh, first. And so maybe ask yourself, who's pouring into you? Who pours into you? Who is a bucket filler spiritually? Who's rubbing off on you? It was very cool a few weeks back. Um, young woman, <clears throat> my wife and I know, um, very savvy person. Uh, they're friends. They've done ministry together. They work in the same industry. And she just sought my wife out. And she just said, hey, um, uh, there was a woman that was kind of, you know, like a mentor. And she, she just moved away. We're great, but she moved away. You've been married a little longer. Could we just intentionally do life? Could you, do you have the margin for that to do you just check in? And that spurs my wife on. My wife's like, oof, you, you want to follow me a bit? Well, yeah, I'm honored. I, I guess I should, <laughs> I should check in on you, and I should share my life back with you, right? So imitate the faithful. Number two, pursue inside and outside relationships. I mean inside the body, inside the church, and outside the church. Pour into others, too. If we just consume, we just consume, we just consume, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing without any activity, without any movement. If it works for our diet, how much more for our spiritual diet? Who are you pouring into? Inside the family, the, the torch has to be passed. It's, it's not a cliche to say that Christianity is always one generation away from going viral, and there's you know, just, just a brand new revival in the world, and it's only one generation away from being dead. Always. Paul writes Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. And he says, pass this message on to other people who are faithful and can do the same. Keep passing the torch. Who are you passing the torch on to? But what about outside? Right? Are you pursuing relationships in non-church settings? That's where I think kind of the, the secular settings are a good thing. If we're really following Jesus, we are rubbing shoulders how and where Jesus rubs shoulders. It's easy to retreat into our little bubble. They may not like me. They it might take time. For, for me, not that I've done this super well, but when we first planted, which, gosh, is almost eight years ago, one of the things I started doing is I just started going to the pub, which, which if you're underage, that may not work quite as well. You might get somebody fired or arrested. I don't know. But I just decided, like, I'm just going to go to the pub, middle of the day, and tip well, and get to know people and just see what happens. And every once in a while, I'd get this weird question. I'd be like, hey, why do you guys like have multiple wives and go knocking on doors for two, two years? I was like, not my team, man. Oh, 
okay, 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 sorry about that. So, so you get to work this out. And what was really cool is one of the things that came out of that is like, hey, like you can, you can like make marriages happen, right? And I was like, yeah. Would you want to do a wedding? Like, could we pay you money? And I'm like, so I could come in front of 200 of your friends and preach the gospel? Just kind of put that one over the plate? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that. I'm like, all right, sign me up. Those are the kind of things that happen on the outside looking in. And some of you, you have got great relationships, great networks, the fun that you have, the mischief that you're up to, your sports teams, your fill in the blanks. But go to number three. <clears throat> Let's be real. If we are going to succeed at relational and missional discipleship, we need to endure the mess. It's not all rosy. Relationships are hard. People are tough. There is a downside. You will get hurt. You will get maligned. Uh, souls are deformed. Relationships are bad. Mission is not for the faint of heart. For every one win. I mean, it's kind of like, like baseball, professional baseball, like, if, if a guy can, for his career, get on base three times for every 10 at-bats, you go to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I feel like with this stuff, if you could bat 300, whoo, that would be great. If you can get on base like one in 100, I don't know. But we need to endure the mess, because if it's not messy, it's not real. It happened to Jesus. Jesus did it right. Peter's like, I don't know him. Judas sold him out. Right? Everybody ran away, and he was perfect. But I want to challenge us to think about the baggage that we face in our relationships. What if our baggage isn't an obstacle? It isn't a hurdle and a roadblock to God's mission. What if it was the mission? What if that actually is God's plan? To like really see people in their ugliness, in their codependency, in their parental wounds that are buried down way, way, way deep, in their, in their ambitions that are twisted that's what Jesus is doing, right? So endure the mess. Number four, this has been kind of baked into other things I'm saying. Infuse your relationships with mission. Sometimes we don't need to go start a new relationship. You already know people. Let those people watch you grow. Don't withhold Jesus from what you're already doing, right? Next Sunday is like one of the two weeks of the year you can invite people to church, and they're like, oh, Creaster, I can do one of those too. It's not that weird, especially if there's a brunch to follow, right? Talk about what you're learning. Talk about your struggles, how your faith is alive and, and real in your life, and you know, I mean, even this, this past week, I, I just went in and I got my hair cut. My barber's like, how's your week? And I'm like, terrible. <laughs> how so? And I told him, and I told him like, that, you know, these are times where I have to lean in and remind myself that like, I didn't sign up for ease and life is hard. And it, we had a great conversation. I didn't go to my priest. I wasn't going to some, you know, theologian. It was just a guy. I'm just like, yeah, man, it's tough. And that opened a whole great conversation with him. Another thing that we can do in infusing relationships with mission is bring other people alongside you. Go after things to, together, right? Not just befriending the, the, the new friend at work, but if you've got a friend who is a person of faith, like how can you do things together? Like, hey, the person over in accounting, <laughs> how can that person be, be grafted into to what we're doing? Can they, can they see that we're different? Or, you know, as you plan events, it's really cool. So, so, so Greg back there in the uh, sound booth, hey, Greg, Greg the intern. He's not, he's not just the intern. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, 
as we've been planning this block party uh, for, for, for June that I mentioned last time I, I, I talked, um, for combating homeless in the area, homelessness in the area, we're not going to combat the homeless. That did not sound right. Whoa, whoa, hey, hey, let's unring that bell. No, we are combating that, being compassionate, loving people. It's been so cool for us to work with other stakeholders in the community because I just see how diligent and connected and thoughtful somebody else is. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to eat my Wheaties before this meeting because I know Greg does, right? So we can combat the, 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 the struggles that people have, not, not the people, right? Do things together. Do things with other people, and you will glean courage and wisdom and and encouragement, those kinds of things. So infuse your relationships with mission. J.C. Ryle will have our concluding thought. As the soldier follows his general, as the servant follows his master, as the scholar follows his teacher, as the sheep follows its shepherd, just so ought the profession professing Christian follow Christ. It's hard to put into words the magnitude of feeling like I had a family who cared about me for who I was and who was fighting for me spiritually and emotionally. We started coming to our house because the dorms didn't serve um, Sunday dinner. Mm-hmm. And so we had Sunday dinner at our house with, I don't know, 10 to 40 people. (laughs) We had five little kids. You would come into the middle of the chaos. I'd stand on one side of the bed. You'd stand on the other. We folded loads and loads of laundry or just did whatever had to be done while talking because I couldn't, you know, put my kids in a room by themselves. That taught me so much, coming over and listening to you and how you parented has truly changed my life and how I parent, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with the Lord, that was a treasure. For me too. And me too. (laughs) And then, yeah, and then Anne-Marie lived with us. Yeah. You would always just open up the floor to just like talk and get to know me, you know? It was was so easy to like- That's great. Be friends and and disciple each other, Mm -hmm. you know? I was able to see the fruit of Jesus through you, of being like, it's okay to be honest and it's okay to be real and authentic and people won't get mad at you or tell you that like your feelings aren't valid. Like you care and you love me and you want me to be honest. It was always like, I accept you and I love you first, which I think is exactly what Jesus does to us. Yeah. I love you and I accept you and I understand you're sinful, and I still want you, and I still want to know you, and care about you, and love you. So you have like this authenticity that you allow other people to bring to you, to then change the relationship, to be really fruitful and truthful, and, and growing together, because that's, what, that's who you are. That's who, that's who God has made you, you know? Is this authentic person that just loves him so much, that wants other people to feel loved by him. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For it to be, um, for you to see the Lord and what He's done and how He's changed our lives. And so then you can go and share that with others. And since the example is Jesus, then it's okay to make mistakes in front of one another. You know, we can change together too. And then, you know, Jesus covers all. All multitude of sins, yeah. So indeed it is stumbling. <laughs> That's a relationship, is stepping out on a branch. 
that you think might crack. That's friendship is being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. God made us to be in community together, to share our lives, the good and the bad. It's the, right, the suffering that you go through this so that you can teach someone else. Learning from those mistakes, sharing my ugly. Anita, you would pour wisdom into that and turn it around and I'd be able to see God in that ugly and see him working for the good in it. And I feel like I learned the same things. Like I was able to see how you did your real authentic life. You invited me into that. And so like I could see how you pursued Jesus to be more like him through you. Yeah, it's so clear to me that we can't do it alone Mm -hmm. because it's those moments that are so, that have locked into my brain with community and with family that are so encouraging. Being able to talk with other people about the Bible and dive in, um, hear your thoughts and the different, what you get from different verses, that gets me excited. And I can't do that without you guys. I can't do that without community. I really feel like you should, you know, have somebody older than you, someone your age, and then be pouring into someone who's younger. You would come over and I'd be so excited saying, look, you taught me all these things and look, I get to do them with Anne-Marie. And then you would say, right, because someone taught me. I lived with another family. That is incredible to me that it's just the same generation after generation passing this on because it was so new to me in college. It was brand new to see a family focus solely on the word and then loving God and loving others. You saw that from Anita, but then I saw that from you. It is the learning back because you would encourage me so much. It is like that full circle of like, you know, we learn and then we share. Mm Mm-hmm.